0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news.
1: Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening by our central Taiwan correspondent, Donovan Smith in Taichung. Good evening. And our southern Taiwan correspondent, Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Hey there. Tonight we'll be discussing a chit-chat with a current star of Taiwan's mayoral scene, missing Vietnamese tourists, the latest on the African swine fever scare, drunk drivers facing tougher charges, and three of Taiwan's scenic areas being rated as green destinations of 2018. But we'll begin with cross-strait statements based on very different principles. And it all started on New Year's Day when President Tsai Ing-wen proposed four musts as a basis for moving cross-strait relations forward. Now, according to Tsai, China must recognise the existence of the Republic of China, respect the values of democracy and freedom of Taiwan's 23 million people, and resolve cross-strait differences in a peaceful and equitable manner. She also said that Beijing should sit down for talks, either with the government of Taiwan or an institution with a mandate from the government. Now, Tsai is describing her four musts as being the vital basis if that's a word, for positive developments of cross-strait relations. However, a day later, China's President Xi Jinping made his own cross-strait pitch in a speech commemorating the 40th anniversary of the message to compatriots in Taiwan. And speaking in the big room of the elite in Beijing, Xi said that Taiwan must and will be united with China based on the 1992 consensus under the One China principle. He also said that China is willing to talk with any party in Taiwan to push forward the political process as long as it accepts the One China principle. However, and here's the catch, he went on to warn that Beijing will not renounce the use of force or give up the option to use all necessary measures to serve that end and crack down on Taiwan independence now here in Taiwan Tsai shot back and who says there's no cross-strait dialogue because they're obviously talking anyway Tsai shot back with a statement in which she stressed that Taiwan will never accept either the 1992 consensus or the one China two systems formula as both are devised by China to bring Taiwan under its total control so Donovan they're, they're technically a dialogue, but not technically a dialogue, and much of the same from both sides.
2: Uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, I think actually the, this time around, actually, Tai was being a little bit more original with their four musts. Uh, Xi Jinping this time around just reiterated a lot of old stuff, and, and it was a little bit surprising because it was pitched as um, <clears throat> in the run-up as being a major speech, but really it was a lot less interesting or dramatic than... Uh, then a lot of his speeches, including the one, say, last March, or, uh, where Xi Jinping has been a lot more aggressive in the past. This time he just reiterated a lot of old stuff. There's not really much new. Tai, uh, her four musts, that is new. That's a little bit more, a little bit fresher. But really, again, it's old stuff repackaged. Um, and it's a better package this time around. Uh, so she now she's being quite reasonable, quite practical, I think. Uh, but China's never gonna accept her four musts. They're never gonna accept the Republic of China, for example. Um, now, the interesting thing is, is that she may be taking a slightly firmer line uh, in the wake of the election, now that, and if you saw the other day that uh, some some very uh, elderly activists like Peng Mingmin and Li Yunze and these guys came out um, and uh, asked for her not to run for president in 2020, uh, the old independence activists, they they're coming out against her for not taking a strong enough line on Taiwan sovereignty and independence. So she's got uh, a lot of pressure coming from that end of the party, and she's she hasn't given in to them, but it does seem like she's taking a slightly firmer line on uh, sovereignty versus
0: China.
1: So, Michael, what did you take away from this? Well, uh, to
0: uh, continue with the idea of pressure, um, I was talking to people that... Uh, uh, Study politics down here at the university, and they were saying that we shouldn't uh, discount the pressure that Xi Jinping is under as well over in China after he scrapped term limits. And not everybody in the Politburo and not all Communist Party members are happy with that. And one thing that he can do, if he could, would be to uh, get uh, Taiwan a little bit more under heel, and that would uh, validate his uh, his extending of time thing. So it looks like there's pressure on both sides, on both leaders. Another thing that they pointed me to was a very interesting uh, survey by the Election Study Center, and this is from the National Zenzen University, and they've been tracking uh, Taiwan attitudes towards independence or unification since 1994, and they have data all the way up to 2018. And what this shows is that about 50, close to 58 percent of people in Taiwan would like to maintain the status quo indefinitely or maintain the status quo and decide at a later date, which to me seems pretty close then for people who want to move towards independence is about 15.5% and people who want independence now don't crack 5%. So what the uh, the people at the university were saying to me essentially was Taiwan seems to want to have their cake and eat it too and this would apply to both politicians and people. So everyone wants to continue as it is, they want to make money off of China. The mayor of Gaoyong Yu says that uh, he won't be discussing politics but he wants investment from China, money from China, uh, tourists from China but it may be that China is starting to realize it has inched up in the power game a little bit, and uh, by pressing this lever or this lever, um, they can uh, stymie Taiwan a little bit, and perhaps the days of having the cake and eating it too are slowly beginning to draw to a close.
1: Of course, what was interesting, Donovan, about these comments by Xi Jinping is the KMT reaction was also rather critical.
0: Yeah,
2: well, the, the problem for the KMT is that some of the ambiguity uh, xi jinping uh, has been has been chipping away at the ambiguity of the 92 consensus uh, the kmt has always maintained that it was um, you know one china but you know but you know with each side with their own interpretation and china's having none of that and they've recently become very explicit in the there's no both sides one interpretation it is one china one entity period so you know they're they're kind of they've kind of undermined the KMT. Now I think that from the Chinese perspective, I'm not entirely sure they're almost uh, they're even aware that they're doing it. It's, it's hard to tell. Sometimes it, 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 sometimes it, it you, the, the, the China does these things intentionally. They shift the ground uh, and either salami slice or try and get people acclimatized to a new reality. But on the other hand, sometimes they they're just clumsy. Um, so which which this is in this case, I don't know. But they they've actually done some damage to the KMT's case that the uh, by removing some of the the ambiguity on the ninety two consensus. The other thing I thought that that I think it's worth reiterating. It's been said before, but is that a lot of I think most of this <clears throat> um, of Xi Jinping's speech was. Primarily, first domestic audience, and secondary international audience. Um, and what what he's trying to do is <clears throat> a little bit like with the China Sea. He just keeps saying, he, if he keeps reiterating the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, the idea is to convince everybody that the reality is that the South China Sea belongs to China, in spite of the you know it, it being ruled internationally that it's not. If um, he says over and over and over again, Taiwan is China's, even though its status is, according to most uh, major countries like the U.S., Japan, uh, <clears throat> is considered uh, is is actually officially uh, is, is officially unclear. Um, it, <clears throat> it just keeps saying that it's part of China. It's part of China. It's part of China. He keeps saying it, and the most important thing that he wants to do is keeps talking about. He wants peaceful reunification, is the is the way he would phrase it, and he um, keeps saying it, but won't renew, renounce the it won't renounce the use of force. Now, of course, because it cl- controls all the information in China, essentially, what his message to his people are is: look, I'm doing everything I can to get these people in Taiwan to you know to come back to come to us peacefully, but if not, then we we are reluctantly forced to use the use of force. So essentially, he's laying the groundwork so that if absolutely necessary, in, 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 in the way that they'll portray it is, is oh, well, you know, uh, these people in Taiwan are just totally unreasonable. And so if they use force, they're trying to lay the groundwork that the people in China won't blame them and to a certain degree, the international community.
1: Right, let's move on now and let's talk about Mr Han Guo Yu, who of course has become the darling of the local political scene since his winning of the Kaohsiung mayoral election. Now he's in big demand these days, with just about every media outlet scrambling for an interview. But Michael, you happened to get a brief sit-down with Han this week, and here's what he had to say.
0: How can we encourage more international people to come to live
3: in Kaohsiung or invest in Kaohsiung? You know why sharks got a chance to eat the meat? Why? The sharks smell the blood in the sea, right? So the businessmen, they've discovered or find the opportunity of in the Kaohsiung, they can earn the money. So they will come here, that's naturally. But if this city, everything is very conservative, very stupid, and even the government, stupid, okay, they won't be here. So just past maybe 20 days, we see the uh, Israel ambassador here, and uh, Australia called us Singapore, and uh, Russia, airplane company. And the next, this month, there will be VC, the boss, maybe more than 120, the boss will be here got a meeting. Try to find out how the Gaoshong, how come they can make make the business here. So they can smell, they can feel this city different. I think as a mayor, I must... make the whole, make the city the environment active and the officials of the government must keep this passion to welcome everyone, every businessman come here. This is our job. Well, the second question is about fixing the
0: English signs or improving the English ability of Kaohsiung. You had
3: a plan for improving the English of, of Kaohsiung, yes? I j- just told the educational bureau, I told the supervisor we must do that. So he has a plan and uh, four steps. The first step, we don't have to spend too much money. We will hire the English teacher, one teacher to handle two or three schools. And the, the teachers will move, but the students won't move. So that we can save the money. This is the first step. And uh, I will ask the whole the street, whole businessman, advertisement. So we must whole change the bilingual. And the whole the ships, whole the sign thing, every, every place, even the street, the corner, whole the sign must bilingual. The third step, maybe I will tell the whole teachers, policemen, firemen of this government, they must try enhance their English ability. And step by step, the whole citizens will got the message from the government. Everybody must learn English. That is for the future of the Kaohsiung. Can you
0: um, just tell us for 10 seconds or 20
3: seconds, why should somebody come to Kaohsiung? I have a slogan during election campaign. Sell goods, welcome people. Prosperous Kaohsiung. That's was my slogan. So basically, Kaohsiung has uh, everything you are looking for. We have an international airport, metro, light rail, and all kinds of modern infrastructures. Kaohsiung is a city of opportunity. That's the slogan.
1: So Michael, it was very brief, and in your words, it was a very chaotic interview. But I mean, what did he say that really caught your ear?
0: Yeah, I mean, when I say chaotic, it wasn't that he was chaotic. In fact, he came across as very invigorated, and even though he looked like he hadn't slept a lot, he was running around uh, back and forth uh, between meetings and stuff. But we originally gave him uh, about seven or eight uh, longer questions, including uh, regarding tourism, but uh, mostly regarding the international community and stuff like that. And he only managed to pop in for a quick interview in between two meetings, and we only got to ask him two questions. But uh, he himself, um, he was uh, willing to speak in English and even though he had prepared English remarks, he ditched those, actually, and he just went off the cuff and he, he spoke. He noted that he hasn 't really given an, uh, a speech or talked in English for some thirty years since his college days, but uh, he was relatively uh, coherent and uh, his English was uh, more than more than acceptable and uh, in general, it was good. Uh, we talked about tourism as you heard i mean we talked about uh, people coming in as you heard there, and the one thing that uh, i don 't think was in the clip that was interesting for me is I asked him specifically about. Uh, the internalization of Kaohsiung related to English and ask him if we're going to adopt the Hanyu pinging system, which is the standard all around the world and is used in Taipei as well, but not in mostly Kaohsiung and Tainan. And he said that he's convened a a group of people, a panel, to look at that and that that's one of the things that they're considering. And he said that in the end, he's definitely going to choose the one that has the most uh, commonality between people and the most support. So if that does follow through, that would mean that we would uh, soon be seeing a change in uh, the pinging down here, which would be a welcome development for some. Also, he talked about, as you noted in the clip I heard in the clip, about uh, changing signs. He was even talking about, like, uh, advertising or uh, construction sites and the slogans and everything that they put up there. He wants the entire city's English to be correct rather than this mess of uh, jargon and uh, sometimes nonsensical words that we see all around the city. So it's a very tall order, and he admitted as much. He's got his work cut out for him, but he's already ordered his education department to begin implementing plans, and uh, deciding what would be the best ideas for the English thing. So that was one of the big takeaways.
1: Right. Donovan, What did you, you listen to the clip. What did you take away?
2: Uh, yeah, actually, the, 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 the Hanyu Pinin part wasn't in the, in, in the clip that I heard. Um, now, Jung actually, interestingly, when Lin Jialong came into office, uh, for years, of course, there was that whole back and forth between Tong Yong and Hanyu Pinin. Uh, and Jason Hu had put in uh, Han Yu Pinin here in Taichung, and when Lin Jialong came in, he decided not to go with Tong Yong, which was actually interesting. Uh, so we have Han here in Taichung. Now, from the clip, um, the, yeah, there was a few t- a few takeaways. I found it amusing that he he referred to Ta- to Gaosheng people as conservative, and the government is conservative, and the government and the people is stupid. Um, which is interesting phrasing, but I understood his point. He, I don't think he meant to be insult- is he, he kind of half meant to be insulting, and I think half not. I think it was, it was half an, an exhortation to improve. Um, <clears throat> now, as for his plan on English... Uh, which Michael referenced there, the uh, he, he from the from the clip that I heard, he said that you know he first of all he's gonna, they wanted to put in the teachers and then he wanted, and then they wanted to get all of the signs and billboards in the city to have English. Now I did not
0: hear anything that would suggest that they were going to have any kind of quality control on this. That was the uh, question that we weren't able to ask. We were going to ask him if he was going to hire qualified native-speaking editors to be able to do that for him, but we didn't uh, have time to finish it. So, yeah, that was an unanswered question.
2: Yeah, Uh, and so I was... I, I if he just simply mandates that it, it's going to be that you have to have English on the signs uh, and billboards, as I, 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 yes, I noted on Facebook, I think we're going to see a tsunami of Chinglish out there, which is going to be quite amusing. Right.
1: And Michael, what about the investment win? I mean, he talked about smelling blood. Yeah, so actually um,
0: the question that I asked him, I was intending to sort of uh, move more towards the tourism angle or visitors coming in uh, for, for shorter stays, but he uh, deflected over more towards the business angle, and when he was referring to conservative and stupid, um, he, the, the feeling that I got was that he was talking about some of his more bold plans that he's put forward, uh, the Ferris wheel, the, the casinos, this, that, and the other, and I think what he was trying to express was you know, if we don't have a real vision here, or we don't have bold plans, and we just go about business as usual, that we can't expect uh, any 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 difference, right? So when he was talking about the investors coming in, um, he's he He has sort of reinvigorated the city. I mean he is as you noted before a, a little a minor uh, star you know everywhere he goes he 's mobbed by people, even as he walks through city hall. He still gets people running over, taking his photo, trying to get autographs, things like this. So he has sort of raised the profile of Kaohsiung, if nothing else, in the very short time that he's been in office. And he seems very, very focused on business first. As he noted the other day, he doesn't want to talk about politics when it comes to China. He said he has uh, business delegations coming in from all over the world. He's trying to encourage uh, businesses from China to relocate, the Taiwanese businesses, back to Taiwan. So he feels that if he can just pump this up a little bit, I guess what he's trying to do, in a way, is create uh, a bubble a uh, kickstarter program where it gets going and then as the stone starts rolling down the hill perhaps it picks up momentum and uh so far i mean it's a very very limited time he's had a just a sense december 25th but he has brought something fresh to the city uh, it's hard to put your finger on it perhaps a little bit intangible but that's the feeling i get
2: yeah i actually thought that the blood in the water uh, comments was what <clears throat> was very interesting and um uh, michael good job on the interview by the way um the um yeah i i he's definitely he clearly focused on and and that was also i think the context of uh, the con- the conservative the stupid also uh, adding the english to uh the science all of this was to create an atmosphere or a, an environment where and i either way i i, I Get his exact phrasing where he led into the blood and the water, or uh, continued from that. But essentially, what he was saying is that if, if the right environment is created in Kaohsiung that the uh, that business business opportunities and business people will come in because if you create the right environment they they smell the blood in the water of an opportunity and then they will come so that that's his primary focus
1: right michael what type of businesses do you think the gaol people regular joe blow on the street wants to go there
0: that's a that's a really good question um uh i also have the same question when it comes to tourists uh international tourists particularly because if you're coming from china it's one thing you know you want to see taiwan it's uh, something that's in your imagination for a long time but let's say you're trying to get somebody from france or germany or something you know what attractions does gaoshong really have to to bring these people in so uh that that's on the tourism side i i i, I want more answers on that and on the business side as well uh, aside from the vr uh gaming industry which he's promoting heavily uh... we also have yachts of course uh... he wants a, an airline company to set up here and perhaps uh... work out of uh, a refurbished pingdong airport uh, which would be very complicated to actually achieve but uh, there's also solar power other stuff like that there's a science park but he didn't specifically uh... bring up any of those topics he did mention that he's talking to people from israel talking to people from singapore but he didn't mention exactly what about so People on the streets also, I think, uh, are much like myself. We don't really know what would work in this city when it comes to uh, business. If it's, if it's technical stuff, if it's IT stuff, well, that's good. But uh, I don't know how well that's or how much that's going to affect the, the local Joe on the street, so to speak.
1: Right, how long do you think the Kaohsiung people are going to give him before they go, hang on a minute, you promised this?
0: yeah that's another good question I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a very short time, um, and he noted that as well uh, way back uh, when he uh, just as he was uh, climbing in the poles he, he said that you know if he wins, he knew that he had a very very short time to implement these things. I think because of the star power and when I mean star power, it goes all the way down to like little children who have nicknamed him korea fish and it's not a term of, uh, of uh, disregard or anything it's just a play on the name his, his name and when you're talking about, like, five, six-year-olds that can identify this person and his image, his, his superstardom really is helping him. So he's going to get a, perhaps a longer honeymoon than Chen Mai would have gotten if he had been elected. But, yeah, I'd say, you know, a year into this or so, if we don't start seeing at least a big boost in uh, revenue from tourists from China or one or two other major sort of tangible things, you're going to start hearing the complaints, yes.
2: Yeah, I I I mean not being in Gaosheng it's really kind of hard to tell. Um uh you know, it Taichung is a different situation. I you know, I think uh Luoxiao is a little bit more conventional. Um and she's coming in in sort of a more conventional expectations <clears throat> children don't identify with her uh, so there's none, none of that going on here so uh, so I'm, I'm kind of watching what's going on in Kaohsiung from something of a remove and I, I think Mike will be, is, is better to speak on that
1: We have to take a short break now but we'll be right back after these important commercials <music> Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and the disappearance of 148 Vietnamese tourists earlier this month has led to further calls for stricter penalties against people who flout immigration laws. Now, while we discussed similar calls in late December, after the Legislative's Budget Centre reported that some 2,000 people from countries covered by the new southbound policy who entered Taiwan on visa-free status basically from August the 1st of 2016 to March the 31st of this year, were unaccounted for. The renewed concerns over illegal immigration come after 152 of 153 Vietnamese who entered Taiwan as part of four tour groups in late December, left their tour groups, and reportedly disappeared. It later transpired, though, that three of them had left the island, while another one was not missing in the first place. Now, the National Immigration Agency says, as we record this show, it's found 24 of the tourists. Now, 15 of the 24 were caught by law enforcement authorities, while the other nine surrendered to authorities. That, of course, leaves 124 of the Vietnamese nationals still at large. And authorities say they believe that human traffickers may have been involved and the Vietnamese are now likely to be working here illegally. So, of course, Michael, this all boils down to open borders and globalisation.
0: Right, so these, uh, these, this latest case, they came, all came through the, uh, the, the airport in Kaohsiung here, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, it was, you know, uh, headline news for several days and you know of course we do need to uh control who's coming in and out of uh, a country but i was a little concerned by the tone of some of the news coverage and uh i don't know if i want to go as far as to say xenophobic but it was a little bit anti foreigner and it doesn't uh, sit well with me to be promoting tourist visits and saying, come see our beautiful island, and then at the same time having such a negative reaction when something goes wrong. And something inevitably will go wrong. I mean, if you look at the statistics for the UK or for uh, the US or Canada or whatever, there's many, many, many thousands of people who overstay their visa. And I believe Taiwan's a mature enough uh, country to be able to handle a couple hundred or even a couple thousand cases of immigration fraud, whatever the case may be. And not necessarily, we don't to jump to a huge, you know, gloom and doom and woe is us thing. So I'm, I'm just concerned about this, and I hope that we can keep the perspective on what actually is going on here. Yeah,
2: I'd agree with that, um, and I'd further add: there's a few a few things uh, that, like for example, <clears throat> um, the uh, there was a uh, I, it was a government spokesperson uh, who noted that. When tourism to China was first opened up, something like—and I may be wrong, but it's a ballpark here on the the statistics—but it was six out of a thousand. I think of the Chinese tourists would abscond, um, and since they've opened up uh, the visa free uh, the visa free access to Southeast Asian countries, it's been something like one point eight per thousand. So. I, I, relative to the number of Chinese tourists who absconded when they opened it up, it's it's significantly lower, and and as Michael noted, the you know the, the, this the, you know Taiwan should be mature enough to accept that these there's going to be some people who will do this, but it's a tiny percentage, it's, it's a tiny minority. The vast majority of the tourists who come here are precisely what Taiwan wants and needs uh, economically. Um, and also, I, you know, I, it, frankly, Taiwan has a labor shortage, so it, it's not exactly necessarily a bad thing if people are coming here voluntarily, and as long as their their jobs are they're not they're safe, and that's the primary concern here is not so much that. At least for me, is not that they they're, they're coming here to work. It's that they're in their work, they're being treated reasonably and fairly. That that's a bigger concern for me, frankly.
1: Robin, do you think though, if, if like a group of French tourists or or a tour package of American middle aged or elderly tourists came over and they disappeared from their hotel, there would have been such a media stink about it?
2: I think so. Yeah, I think a, a bunch of middle aged uh, Americans or French people who suddenly disappear. I, I think that would make the international news, yeah
0: yeah, I, I have to I have to go with the other side and say they would launch a rescue party and assume they had gotten yeah. lost, and every police officer on the island would be looking for them in a very kind manner, yeah, but because these are Southeast Asian people, the attitude unfortunately is a little bit different. I know that might be a slightly controversial view, but we 've seen this with Thai women who come to Taiwan to work as uh, sex workers, and this is again a fraction of the Thai visitors that come and yet. They are. Uh, there was there was one really nasty story in one paper that was uh, talking about how to identify various Southeast Asian people from what country they're from based on their looks and stuff like this. That to me is really scary. You're moving towards something I don't want Taiwan to become.
2: Yeah, that's definitely the case. I, I completely agree. And, I, um, and I, I've seen a fair amount of reporting and I've talked about some of this on, on ICRT about how. Um, uh, you know that how Southeast Asians are are portrayed in the media here, which is uh, downright appalling um, uh, there's one instance uh, that was that's it, particularly memorable uh there was a a caretaker here um, who was repeatedly raped um, and she couldn't get any help locally. She put a YouTube video up. And there was a major outcry in, you know, from the country that she came from, and the reaction of some of the local media was 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 excellent. Some of it was, you know, this this poor woman. She's come here. She's done. You know, she's taken a hard job, and you know, this it's 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 appalling that this happened to her, and they cared about her. But some of the media uh, had headlines like. Taiwan has lost face internationally, and it was all about the loss of face. And this was, um, you know, and, had, and there was absolutely zero caring about what had happened to this poor woman. It was, and that was quite appalling. So, yeah, the press, uh, some of the press, definitely not all of it, but some of it is, is very depressing to read.
1: Right now, and of course Taiwan is still gripped in an African swine fever scare as the government continues to take steps to stop the virus from spreading to Taiwan from China where it has already spread to 23 provinces and municipalities. Now fines have recently been increased for people who bring in meat or meat products into the country via airports and ports, with people who now bring pork products in facing fines of 200,000 NT while people who bring other meat products into Taiwan face fines of 30,000 NT People caught re-offending can be fined up to 1 million NT. Regulations have also been tightened to stop packages containing meat products from entering Taiwan via the postal system. But it seems a day doesn't go by anymore without the Customs Bureau at Taoyuan International Airport announcing how many people have been fined for bringing meat products into the country. And to add more urgency to the matter, the Council of Agriculture on Thursday of this week confirmed that a dead pig found washed up on a beach in Jingman, Jinsha Township has tested positive for ASF and pork products from Jingmen are now being banned from entering Taiwan proper for at least two weeks. So Donovan, you're on your own now because of course Michael had to go to work. So the Africa's swine fever problem.
2: Yeah, okay, several things. Um... What's very depressing is, first of all, of course, I mean, the government here has been repeatedly asking uh, China for information and updates. China hasn't responded, and uh, that is shocking and depressing, but also not not surprising. Um, it doesn't seem that China is doing a very good job of containing it, and it's, it's unclear from here, even, how, even if they're even trying. It's, it's really... Kind of worrying. Um, now, of course, according to some reports, it seems likely that China, uh, and this is a whole unintended consequences thing, is that it, that the, uh, the 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 flu came in via imported Russian pork, which they substituted in um, when you know uh, with the trade war with the U.S. So, where they, they instead of bringing in uh, American pork, they brought in the Russian pork, which brought in the flu. Um, so that's an unintended consequence of uh, you know of the of the trade war. Now, as far as the tourists coming and bringing in meat, um, it's a pretty e- common e- e- you know East Asian practice to bring comfort food foods from home. And it's you know I I I have questions about how well and how effectively Taiwan can communicate. Uh, to incoming tourists in other countries before they arrive, you know what the penalties are, and and according to news reports, there the you know the the numbers of people being caught brought in has not changed. I mean, so obviously they're not communicating well uh, to the incoming tourists. They're, you know, clearly that's failing. Um, So, yeah, it's, 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 but the, you know, Taiwan definitely needs to be vigilant on this one. It's, it's after the, uh, the foot, foot and mouth, foot (laughs) foot and mouth mouth disease, I think, um, the outbreak in the, in the nineties, which devastated the local pork industry. And of course the pork industry here locally is huge, um, you know, it was. We've seen the devastation uh, here before, and you know, no one wants to see that repeated. So, it's. it's it, I'm glad to see they're working hard on it. Um, and of course, yesterday with the, the reports that the that the pig uh, was uh, indeed uh, infected, the one that washed up on Jimmen, um, and it was uh, it was good to see that. Of all the, I saw hundreds of articles came up on my uh, on my feed. And, and, but, of course, one intrepid journalist went out and found the most attractive uh, young lady selling uh, pork at a market in Jimman and interviewed her about it, of course. That's uh, the, the way much of the local media prefers
1: to operate. Right. But I mean, obviously, they're catching people every day virtually at the airport. But yeah, every day, yeah. Of course, what, what I must remember is there's, there's always been warnings about bringing meat on international flights. Surely you don't do it.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, and but the, the thing is, it, it's, it's clearly not working and never has. Um, and then, of course, there was that one report about somebody bringing in leftovers of their airline meal in. Um, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, there's clearly a communication problem here.
1: My best one was when the, the woman came from Ningpo in China with a bag of freshly minced pork. Yeah. <laughs> that, that amazed me, that someone could get on an aeroplane to fly on an international flight with raw meat. Uh, yeah. No,
2: it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really common thing here in East Asia for people to bring, you know, food. I mean, to a certain degree, it's a worldwide phenomenon, but it does seem to be very prevalent here in East Asia.
1: Right. Now, we'll move on again. And a DPP lawmaker this week said that he's got an idea to have drunk drivers prosecuted on charges of... in her intentional homicide or attempted murder. Now, according to Lin Chuan Shen, the government's zero-tolerance policy against drunk driving has had little effect, and people who drink and drive should be made to understand that their actions could result in death or serious injury to others. Now, he says that he believes a bill to prosecute drunk drivers on charges of homicide or attempted murder would better deter drunk driving and reduce repeat offences. But, of course, Donovan, predictably enough, this proposal has fallen flat with many in the legal profession, who argue that there's no comparison between deaths caused by drunk driving and intentional homicide.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous uh, proposal. Um, and uh, the assertion that uh, the drunk driving laws have not had an effect is also ridiculous. Um, the amount of drunk driving that used to happen here... Uh, it, it, it used to be commonplace it used to be something that was considered absolutely normal uh and now it's considered more and more abnormal um uh you know it was considered something that you just did it wasn't it wasn't debatable before like nobody you know at one time here people would just you know they'd drink and they'd get in their car and go home I mean, it was it was not. They didn't think there was anything abnormal or that there was anything wrong with that, uh, whereas now, with the, the fines in place, uh, people think twice. They're at least aware of the issue now, and a lot of people do uh, you know, take taxis or find other ways to get home now. Um, and there's a lot more social pressure. So the assertion that the, you know these the laws and the change in the culture has not happened is is false. Um, but of course, yeah, to you know people who get into a car after a few drinks, there you know, and this includes you know people who have medicinal soups. Um, you know obviously that you know this is something that you know that that these are not people who are intentionally going out to try to try and kill people, and of course you know then there there you know then this could be extended to people who are tired or people who have you know taken some kinds of medicine or and, and where does this end i mean they, this is definitely a slippery slope exactly. it's it's you could at some point then say that if you only had four hours sleep last night and you get behind the wheel of a car you're killing people i mean it's it's definitely not it it is definitely a slippery slope
1: right i mean when when did you in taijong when did you first start to notice more police checkpoints being set up looking for drunk driving
2: uh in the early 2000s um uh, through the '90s and into the early 2000s, it was pretty pretty much y- y- you just assumed that you went to the you went to the pub, drank, and took your vehicle home. Uh, it was it was I- I'd say uh, Jason, Who's first term, uh, which would be 2000 to
1: 2004ish. Right, so a very long time. Yes. Yeah. So obviously the policy is working, so there's really no need to change the laws and become draconian about it. Not that draconian. That, no, that's no. Insane. Anyway, before we go, three of the island's scenic areas have been included in a list of the world's top 100 green destinations of 2018. Nan Liao in Penghu County, Pinglin in New Taipei City and the north-eastern Coastal National Scenic Area were all highlighted in the Sustainable Destinations Top 100 report. Now, the report was published by the Green Destinations Group, which is a non-profit organisation from Holland that focuses on sustainable tourism. And the group says that it included Nan Liao for its Promotion of low carbon tourism focusing on farming life. Pinglin was included for the use of toxin and pesticide free farming methods by the town's tea farmers, of course, Pinglin being big on tea. And the North East and Elan Coast National Scenic Area got a mention for developing eco friendly tourism that reduced water use and carbon emissions. But apparently, the best country was the Netherlands, which had 11 green destinations but you've got a few green destinations in your neck of the woods in central taiwan donovan some of them in nantou
2: oh yeah i mean there's 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 quite a few i mean taiwan is full of of you know you leave the cities uh and there's just there's so much natural beauty up in the mountains here i mean there's so many different um you know Nanto, uh, Ta- you know what used to be Taichung County up in the Heping District. Um, there's so much going on here in in, in central Taiwan, in northern Taiwan. Uh, yeah, the mountains here are are really beautiful, and a lot of the offshore islands. Uh, I, I guess my big question on these kind of reports are how many people actually make their decisions, their tourism decisions, based on it. it you know, Taiwan genuinely should be a, a, a more uh, it should be it should have higher visibility on on, on 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 you know on in terms of tourism, um, and I hope this helps. But how many people actually read these <laughs> surveys?
1: Of course, there's there's also problems with these green environmental places that people visit. You have a, a famous farm in Nanto, of course, which caused a few yeah, problems. Yeah, changing farms. Yeah, that is that's now open again.
2: Uh, yeah, it, it's never really been closed, uh, but there, the, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of conflicts with uh, developers and uh, resort owners there, and it's been sort of an ongoing, you know, an on-off, you know, simmering war between between the the county and uh, you know the resort owners there. But by and large, it's 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 still open, and the resort owners seem to have largely. Uh, held out one on that one, from what I gather.
1: Right. Anyway, that's where we shall leave it this week here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined on the telephone today by Donovan Smith in Taichung all right good evening and i was on the phone with michael smith in Gaoshung earlier but he actually had to pop off very urgently so michael smith says thank you very much for letting me come on the show again and thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of taiwan this week here on icrt with me gavin phipps and don't forget to check out taiwan this week podcasts on itunes and android podcast apps when you can get access to all our previous shows